1: Hello, I'm Justine willis toms Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Michael Mead, author of Awakening the Soul, A Deep Response to a Troubled World, and I'm speaking with Michael at his home by remote connection. Welcome, Michael, to the New Dimensions Cafe.
2: Good to be with you, Justine.
1: Thank you. It's grand to have you with me and with our listeners. I'm most impressed by your insight that we've just come through a collective rite of passage or initiation, and that explains a lot. So let's put the last 18 months in perspective. What is this collective initiation that we've come through and are we finished with it yet? Is it complete?
2: So the classic description of a rite of passage or initiation is three steps, separation, ordeal, descent, usually descent and ordeal, and then a return, which involves the incorporation of new things learned and often a welcome from people who can see what we've suffered through and that we've become transformed. And so if you take the COVID experience, you say, was there separation, you bet, social distancing. But also, as happens in classic rite of passage, there's a brush with death. Many people actually died. Everybody else saw death counts every day. In other words, we learned that death is present with us, which was always the purpose of early, uh, like a youth initiation, you'd be introduced to death. And then in that middle ground of ordeal, There's liminality, which means being betwixt and between, not knowing what's coming next, and being open to being inspired. And then the third part, the return, is the tricky part because uh, you have to have a genuine sense of community to welcome people back. And in the modern world, that sense of community is almost always absent. So in this rite of passage, which is global, involves nature and culture all going through transformation together, it's as if we have to reimagine and almost reinvent community in order to welcome each other back. The first two I don't think anybody's going to argue with. Have we been separated from each other? Yes. Did we go through ordeals? Yes. Is there a lot of uncertainty? Yes. Welcoming back is a ritual that is so foreign to the modern world that we're going to have to reimagine it.
1: You know, I recently did an interview with Jed Diamond, who works with men and men's health, and he tells a story of when he went to a ritual, and you're not allowed to go to that ritual unless you're invited by someone. And that person, another man in this case, takes you to this ritual and drops you off there. And then after the end of three days, all the men are in circle. And this just moved me to tears because in the returning, as you are standing in this circle, you hear your name called out. And it's called out like this. Um, Jed Diamond, I'm Michael Mead. I've come back for you. And to have someone there to... To welcome you back, to say, you are changed, you are a new person, I am welcoming you back. This is a tough one right now, Michael, because we don't have collective rituals for this.
2: And we're at a time of polarization where people think they're not even in the same story. So there's all the more reason for rituals of welcoming So I think what happens and why a group of men could do that, a group of women can do it too, and I think because there's a thing called bone memory. And in our bones, it's like ancestral memory, we remember how to do this. And so like when we work with young people who are lost on the streets, we create rituals of return for them. But since they can't return home, they're actually lost or sometimes they're in jail. We have to make it a returning to the self helping them to return to the deepest sense of their own self. There are many ways to do it. For instance, right now, there's so many unfinished funerals or undone funerals that didn't happen. And so I think it's valuable to see these things we're struggling with as symptoms and calls to reimagine human culture, to reimagine how we are in this all together. And when you're doing a welcome back, you don't have to say, hey, do we agree politically? (laughs) You know, are we on the same side? If you can get it to a place of real emotion, for instance, we've done it on the streets where we're working with kids in the street, and then we start to get their attention, usually because they like stories, and I tell stories. And then we get them to talk about their personal life, which usually means their suffering and their pain. And once that pain is in the room and we all feel it, we know we're on the way to welcoming these young people back. I mean, we can't fix their lives in the moment, but we can embrace them, and we always sing to them. So here's an old idea. In all the rituals of um, you know, youth, coming-of-age rituals and rituals of youthful initiation, often when the young people, girls, boys, would leave the village, the whole village would be there singing to them, singing a traditional song, so that as they went out into the world, they had the song of a whole village at their back. And so they never were completely alone because that song went into their body. And when they come back from their adventure or their ordeal, or they're suffering, everybody's waiting and sings the song again. You don't have to discuss it. We're all in the same song. We're all in the same story. We're all in this together. So people can do it, and I would suggest song is one of the most easy, accessible, and compelling ways to be in the same moment together in terms of some kind of harmony, sometimes the only harmony you can find in some kind of rhythm, and it's deeply, deeply human to sing to each other, and you don't even have to do it well, it just has to have heart and soul in it.
1: I remember um, Jill Peirce years ago, she's married to Rupert Sheldrake, And she does a lot of songs. I was with her for a whole week long of nothing but singing together. And she talked about how in ancient Europe, that's how people came together. They came together in churches. And there was a town drunk, and there was the curmudgeon or this or that. I mean, all sorts of different people. But they came together in song. And you often talk about how singing brings spirit down.
2: Yeah, that was the old saying in in old churches. The steeple of the church is there to channel spirit down. But spirit won't come down if we don't sing. And you were mentioning, you know, men. And all cultures, young men would be taught to sing together because that would be the practice of harmony. That would be the practice of not getting caught up in that overly, you know, heroic, chest-pounding stuff. And actually, young men would be taught laments, songs of grief, in order to open you know, the inner channels of the heart and all. And so it's, those things are easy to reinvent or remake because it's so natural to humanity. And I think we need it. I mean, you know, any kind of music soothes, as they say, even the savage beast, but m- music and song with, with the intention of welcoming And uh, like you were saying, that welcomes everybody. We don't agree. That doesn't matter. We're in this together. We're suffering together. The pandemic was a global illness and a global suffering and a global funeral. And so the point of that is not to make us suffer, I don't think. I think the point of it is to make us remember how to heal and come together.
1: Something that moves me deeply, Michael, is the Islamic call for prayer, how they put it out on the microphones, and it just covers the culture, the community. It's always with a male voice, I guess. And just hearing the tone of that voice is so powerful to me, Michael. It moves me on a heart level
2: Well, if someone is singing it not because of the creed that might be associated with it, but they're singing from the soul, because it's a very soulful style of singing, Um, if they're really doing it, then it's a call that goes right into our own hearts and souls. We don't have to know what the words mean. We don't have to believe anything because we can literally feel it. You know. So some people say, in the beginning was the word. But there's a whole lot of cultures that say in the beginning was the sound. And so a person singing a certain way can literally cause things to happen inside of us. That's why we revere great singers and songwriters, because they pull us into this place where the sacred music occurs. And every time that happens, we're all in the same concert, and we realize we're all in the resonance of creation and as people are learning better now, we're all in this together.
1: You know, Michael, you often talk about finding our individual thread, finding our individual plotline and using that as a springboard to our unique contribution to the world. And one of your callings is as a storyteller. And Sometimes our calling can come, we can be initiated into it uh, by going through something very fearful, actually. And you tell a story of early on in your life of being in a movie theater in a very fearful situation, and it caused you to tell a story. Can you tell us that story of your storytelling origins?
2: When I started actually trying to tell stories to audiences, totally an experiment, and there was a journalist who came and said, when did you start telling stories? And then I went, well, actually, here's what happened. I was 13 and a half years old. I was in a little local crew, we called it, the little local gang in New York City, and we went to the theater. I went up to the bathroom, which was upstairs behind the, you know, the room where the film was coming from. You could hear it. And as I was going up, seven guys older than me surrounded me and went up there with me. And when I got in, they threw me on the floor and they pulled out knives and they were about to carve me up. And they were a gang that we knew about and they were known to do that. And so it was a pretty serious thing. And I thought, this looks like the end. As a matter of fact, when I look back, I realized my ego departed, didn't want to stay around for this pain. And then all of a sudden, I started talking, not just talking, I started telling a story. I say me, but I wasn't doing anything. Something in me started to tell a story. And as I told the story, you could see that when people are going to do harm, they get this stare, a long stare, like they're looking past you. And all of a sudden, the stare was gone. The knives went down. And when I finished, they had a few questions But the leader. You can always tell the leader because everybody looks at them when they're not sure what to do. And the leader said, we're going to let you go. We're going to give you a warning and, you know, don't ever mess with us again and so on. Uh, But they let me go. And so I can really say that was the first time it's happened again later. The telling story saved my life. It actually is my life and it saved my life. And I had no idea. There was no rehearsal, no preparation. The story just came out like paragraph after paragraph and it compelled them not to hurt me.
1: And it was truthful. It came from a deep place of your own personal experience of life, I believe.
2: What happened was, they weren't after me, they were after my friend. And he wasn't there, but they knew that we were together. So they couldn't get him, they got me. And they were after him because he started taunting them. He would taunt this gang of violent guys and then just run so fast they couldn't get him. And so they were after him. So what happened is something in me started to tell the story. Say, listen, you don't understand. You know, you don't know that the problem with him is he's gone crazy. He's not really just insulting you he doesn't even recognize exactly who you are. He's gone crazy. And the reason he's gone crazy is his older brother beats him every day and then his father come home and beats him at night. And because he's so beaten, he's just on the edge and he's enraged and he's he's lost his mind. And so it wasn't an offense to you. It was just an an expression because of how injured he is from being beaten. Well, guess what? All of them are getting beaten, and me too. That's where we're coming from. A rough situation. That was our problem. People aren't born violent. They become violent because they're violated. And so I was telling them their story, his story, my story, and there was something in them. They couldn't resist it. They knew it was true. And so hearing that story kind of dispelled the need to do more violence. For the moment, I'm sure they went back to what they did, and I tried to avoid them afterwards. But, but yeah, so that came out of me spontaneously, and and I say the ego went away because if you had kept the ego in place, I would have been so afraid I couldn't talk. I would have, I don't know, I would have screamed. I don't know.
1: So I'm thinking, too, that in the returning of a ritual, and if you say first it's separation, then the ordeal, and then the third part of the initiation is the return and return to community. And you talked about, like, we're all in the same song. We're all in the same story, even though it seems like we're polarized. That if we can speak to one another from our authentic deep self and story, it might be more effective than trying to convince someone to be a certain way or to look at life the way we do.
2: Yeah. So the old Latin word for coming together is communitas. And it means something so deep happens that everybody realizes that we're connected and everybody gets pulled together by the depth of emotion or the depth of understanding that's present. And so what we really need is a big grieving ceremony where everybody can go, I lost a loved one, um, I lost opportunity, I lost jobs, I lost my sanity, whatever it was, and everybody just briefly naming their loss or however that would be and then begin a song. Um, And then you could even just have people turn and welcome each other randomly And you would have, for sure, people on opposing political things welcoming each other because we would be in a different ritual, not the ritual of polarization, but the ritual of finding mutual humanity. And it's that close. It's that close. And it's what we really mean by returning. I mean, the people that want to return to normal... You know, are just making a huge mistake. We want to return to humanity. We want to return to understanding. We want to return to being seen as people who have suffered and people who want to be more in the vitality and the beauty and the meaning of life.
1: Michael, I want to thank you so much for being with us today on the New Dimensions Cafe.
2: Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for keeping new dimensions as a possibility because we all need some new dimensions.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And may it be so. I've been speaking with Michael Mead at his home by Remote Connection. He's the author of Awakening the Soul, A Deep Response to a Troubled World, and he also is a presenter of the Living Myth podcast. And if you want to know more about his work, go to his website mosaicvoices.org, mosaicvoices.org, or you could get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Café. I invite you to please join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Café.